She's on the money. She's on the money. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode back of Friday Drinks on She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. Today is Friday, which means it is time to sit back with the girls and a beverageino in hand to unpack our favourite moments of the week and, of course, time to celebrate you, the incredible She's on the Money community. As always, we are sharing our favourite money wins. We'll be discussing what's making news in the finance world and we'll be helping to answer a juicy money question, which this week is going to be all about investing as an expat. But first, it is time to recap the week that was. Miss Jessica Ricci, talk to us about Monday's Money Diary episode this week. So, this week's diarist had a chat to us about managing, I guess, different financial habits. Her and her partner have two vastly different styles and she's had to kind of make some concessions as you do in any relationship, but also find, I guess, a middle ground where she's still comfortable and happy operating. Um, She said that she's always been able to save but didn't have any long-term savings. And now she's working towards her IVF journey, which obviously can be a really costly experience. So So expensive. Yeah, she had to get on the same page as her partner because they've got that shared goal. And it was just really interesting to hear from her about how she approached those conversations and how they made her feel. The thing I found so interesting about that money diary is it was just so different to the way I manage things myself with my partner. And I know Mm -hmm. that you would probably feel very similar as well. Like I know you and your partner manage money differently to Steve and I. So it's like nice to see what other people are doing. But I was like, at the same time, like, ah, that would frustrate me so much. Like, I don't want to have to keep telling him each year. Like, I just want him to keep knowing. So, I don't know. It was just cool to be able to see what other people do and I guess what their boundaries are because we all have different boundaries and different things that we accept and different things that we're actually willing to work with. So, I think that that was kind of one of the cool things to come out of it. And I'm saying that because just this week, our DMs blew up with people being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they X, Y, Z. And it's just like, well, actually I can because we're all different and that's the beauty of Money Diaries. A thousand percent. It's a safe space to share what you do free of judgment just because, you know, someone does something differently to the way we would. We're not here to criticize. We're here to hear about it and learn from you. And that's exactly what we did. Absolutely. And on Wednesday's deep dive, I feel like I'm stealing Georgia's job here, but she's not feeling well. And in the current state of the world, she's isolating. So we just said, don't even worry. Just stay in bed. Look after yourself. It's just Jess and I. I hope we can carry this, Jess. Like it's the first episode of the year. We've got to do a really, really good job. All right. No pressure though. No pressure, no pressure. But this week on Wednesday, we spoke all about New Year, New Me vibes. We talked about how we can reset goals and talk about what we want to do in the year to come. And I just think it's so important to remember that everybody's different and that we all have different goals. And whether your goal is to save $500 or it is to just start paying off a debt, like everybody's goals are going to be different. And I think that one of the most challenging things over the next 12 months for us and for the She's on the Money community is actually 
actually going to be comparison. And I say that because we're all kind of like creeping slowly out of lockdowns and having gone through so much, especially because so many of us are Melbourne and Sydney based. We're now going to see people spending money on weddings, maybe buying houses that they've been holding off buying. We're going to see them saving money and going on holidays because we've all been held back for the last two years from being able to travel at all. That I know that when it's going to be posted on social media, some people are going to be like, oh my gosh, like how are they affording going on a holiday after the year that was? Like it's just, it's a very hard time to go through, I think. And I think that we all need to just be a little bit kinder to ourselves and a little bit more mindful of maybe what pressures we're putting on ourselves because usually Mm -hmm. it's completely unnecessary. But moving away from that, because I feel like on the Wednesday episode, I was sappy enough. Jess, let's dive straight into the community money wins. You've picked out a few to share on the show this week. Do you want to start the ball rolling with number one? Absolutely. I feel like it was such a good thread because as you said, new year, new me, coming out of Christmas, everyone had some wins or some confessions. It was a really good one this week. Yeah. And Um we didn't do it over Christmas because we were on holidays. A thousand percent. So I feel like we had double, double the quality content. So thank you to everyone for sharing. We're going to start with Jade. She said, money win. I bought someone a Christmas gift that they already had. I returned it and purchased what they asked for instead. And it was half of the price. So now I have a credit to use in the future. Although I wish I'd kept the receipt because it could have been cash back. Oh, that's okay. That's still a win nonetheless, because you were happy to give away that entire amount. A thousand percent. And I was going to say, I feel like this really goes to what we spoke about at the end of last year, which is not being afraid to either re-gift or if you receive something you like, tell someone. Because in this case, the person who received the gift wouldn't have had any benefit from having two of the same thing. And by telling the person who gifted it to her, she saved Jade some cash. So it's a win all round, in my opinion. I know. And I think that that's, it's just better. Like I would feel so much better, Jess, if I got you a gift and you were like, um, I already have that could we swap it for something else. I'd be like, yes, because I want to get you something you like. Like that's not a problem in my eyes. I don't understand why more people don't do that because no one wants two matching cheese plates. I'm telling you right now. A thousand percent. Next up, we had Emily who says, I don't drive. So usually I end up Ubering to my psychologist appointment, which is about $70 there and back. But I justify it because the appointment is bulk billed. So she gets that cost subsidized. Um, But now her psychologist is offering telehealth appointments. So she doesn't need to Uber there, which is huge. Oh my gosh. And I wanted to say two things here. Firstly, um, if you are seeing a mental health professional, a lot of them are doing like Emily's doctor and are offering telehealth now. So if it's really hard for you to get to someone, have a look online because a number of places do offer it. But I also just wanted to plug, I've shared this before, but we have a really great mental health plan here where like Emily has done, you can get the cost of your appointments subsidized. I think it's 10 appointments and then they did add another TED on for COVID. I'm not sure if that is still available, but at the very least, if you are an Australian citizen, you can get 10 subsidized mental health sessions with a psychologist, which is just so helpful, I think, especially right now. Literally. And right now you can get up to 20 subsidized sessions with a mental health care professional each and every single calendar year. And guys, if you didn't know, it's a new calendar year. So if you've been thinking about it, maybe now's the time to get it all lined up. But also the other thing, Jess, if you are seeing a mental health professional, go you. Like that is Mm -hmm. such a good step. And I just feel like more people need to start talking to psychologists and counselors and therapists. Like Therapy for me has been the best thing that I have ever done. Like 
I might go through ebbs and flows. Like I might be like, I need to see my psychologist every two weeks and that's fine. I might go, you know what? I don't really need to see you this week, but I'll go anyway. And then I also go through periods where I'm like, so can we just book um, every single week for now? I just feel like this is a really stressful period. But I think it's really important to talk about these things because just seeing a psychologist or seeing a counsellor doesn't mean you have to be diagnosed with something specific. Like you could Mm -hmm. just be going through something. You could just be really angsty at the moment or just feel like you need to talk to someone. You don't have to have a mental health disorder to see someone. And I'm not saying that as a, well, you should know. I'm saying that as I've been in my DMs over the last couple of weeks and someone actually said to me like, oh, I I don't think I have clinical depression, so I probably can't see a psychologist. I'm like, ah, you can though, my friend. Please do. Please, please, please do. Anyway, Jess, what is the next money win? Next up, we had Georgina who said, money win, my sister who's 19 started her first job. So I post useful information on her mirror and provide money tips. I advised her to put money away for her contacts as it's a priority purchase. She now does that every pay so she doesn't have to borrow from anyone. Sometimes I feel like I'm overdoing it, but I noticed she has been taking it all in and she put up a little photo of the most wholesome little, it's like a note card that you would use to study with and it's all about superannuation. And I just thought how (laughs) precious that she is not only sharing that information with her sister and helping to educate her sister on something that at 19 I personally was not educated about, um, but the love that it's done with. She's written the little note. It's in different colors. It just pulled at my heartstrings absolutely 10 out of 10. Oh, please, Georgina. Please. Like that would also be a really cool thing for She's on the Money to do one day, Jess. Like Mm -hmm. do little mirror affirmations. So cute that you can see every day. Yeah, or like a flip book or something that has a different like finance fact or positive affirmation or something. I don't know. I feel like we're onto something. Oh, my gosh. 2023 daily calendar. We'll work on that. We'll Stop pushing it. that off. I always <laughs> say things and you're like, maybe not this year, babe. Well, I mean, we are four days into 2022, so. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm motivated. I had a good break, Jess. We'll chat about it off air. <laughs> Next, we have Angeli. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. She said, That's a pretty money name. win. It's really pretty. I was going to buy the She's on the Money book, but it got gifted to me for my secret Santa. Which- oh, my gosh. Do you know what was the most wholesome thing over Christmas, Jess? It blew my mind. And it shouldn't have because, like, I know I wrote a book and I know that you can buy it. Like, it shouldn't have blown my mind. But seeing people on Christmas Day tag me in their gifts, whether they gave the book or got the book or were just excited about it. And then people over that Christmas period being like, oh, I'm at the beach. I'm reading the book I got for Christmas. I can't tell you how many times I cried. Like it was literally the most wholesome thing in the entire world. I was like, wait, it's not just like you guys in the community supporting, you know, us, which is beautiful, but it's you are gifting it to people outside the community and it's having this impact and people are really excited about it. I can't tell you how special that was. So to all of you who posted or messaged me or told me that you had the book, thank you. You literally made my Christmas magic. And whoever gave that secret Santa, we endorse that gift. File that yeah. one away for next year, folks. Also, you're a genius. <laughs> next, we had JP who said, I went to Nando's with my boyfriend and I offered to pay. We stand. She said, for some reason, the tool wasn't working. So the guy gave it to us for free. Thanks, what? Nando's. <laughs> Date night on the till guy. I feel like as well, it would have been a really good moment for her to be like, oh, no, babe, like, I'll get the I've bill. I've got this. And then next minute, she doesn't have to pay. We love Does to see it. Does he have to pay next time? 
Or does she have to pick it up next time? No, she offered her meal that she was going to pay for was paid for. The next one's on him. Yeah, yeah. All right. That seems reasonable. (laughs) And lastly, I have a post from Brie who has a whole bunch of things that she's checked off for her new year. She said, check, did my 2022 budget with Victoria's planner. Check, I downgraded my phone plan and realized I'd been paying late fees for ages. So we'll now be saving $65 a month. And check, I canceled my Kindle unlimited subscription I forgot about and got a refund for 12 months worth, which was $170. And then she's hashtagged ADHD tax. Woohoo. I really <laughs> want to do. Literally a thing. But do you know, sixty-five bucks a month is like what, nearly eight hundred bucks in a year? So much That's money. Big. I would really love to do an episode and let us know if this is something we'd be interested. People would be interested in because we've chatted about this in the office. But I would love to talk about ADHD tax. Which, if you don't know, it's essentially the concept that our neurodiverse friends have to learn to manage their money in different ways because your brain just thinks about things differently. And there are all these different tips and tricks. And I would love to chat to some people in our community potentially who have figured out a way to manage these things themselves. But maybe that's an episode that we can cover off on at some point this year because it's super interesting. And Brie, good on you for getting on top of it, girl. We're so proud of you. I love that. And it's probably worth mentioning here. Obviously, I have a background in psychology. So, to talk about things when it comes to ADHD, obviously, we are relatively well-placed. But for those of you playing along, and this isn't something I'm going to post on Instagram, but you're listening to a Friday drinks episode. And if you're this far in, what, like at least 15-ish minutes in, like, I'm assuming we're friends, but I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 17 and have been on that journey. I'm now 30, so I feel like maybe, Jess, I probably have some tips and tricks of my own because Mm -hmm. a lot of people, if they have ADHD, they've messaged me and they're like, V, spill the beans. Like the way you talk, the way you interact, the way you talk online, the way that you say that you forget things and the way that you actually interact in everyday life you sure you don't have ADHD? I'm like, busted. Yes, I do. (laughs) So, I think it would be a really good episode to do, but at the same time, I think it's really important to, I guess, share that because we're all friends here. And no, I haven't ever said that publicly before, but I do think it is not something that I should be worried about sharing because it makes me who I am. And Mm -hmm. knowing how that works has meant that I am wildly more successful. It has meant that I am wildly more productive, whereas I can fall off the absolute bandwagon if I'm not managing myself properly. So, just mm-hmm. great episode. Amazing. I'm excited. So, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking all things fraud and investing as well. Don't go anywhere. Alrighty, V, I saw an article this week that It made me a little bit sad, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, There was an article that came out about Elizabeth Holmes, who essentially was a business boss. She raised $945 million in investments for her business. Can you imagine? That's so much money. You think that's so much money? At its peak, her business, Theranos, was valued at $9 billion. Billion with a B, which is wild. But what is even more wild than that is the fact that this week she was actually found guilty on multiple charges of criminal fraud. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it makes me so sick. But this is such a good one to talk about. So, for those of you who might be hearing Elizabeth's name for the first time, I understand she is kind of one of those people that in America, I think this is probably a little bit bigger, but she's one of those boss ladies that I'd always looked up to. Like she was on the cover of Forbes. Like she's like 
cool, cool, or was cool, cool. Now I would say the exact opposite. <laughs> but she's now a convicted fraudster. She was, as you said, the founder and CEO of Theranos, which is a now completely defunct health technology company that soared in valuation. As you said before, it was worth billions, like $9 billion, because they claimed to have revolutionized blood testing by developing testing methods that could surprisingly use very small volumes of blood, like a finger prick, which if you think about it, like we all go to the pathologist at some point, get blood drawn, they have to take all these vials, and she's now saying that they can do complete blood tests with a finger prick. Like, that is obviously going to revolutionise the medical space for a multitude of reasons. But turns out she wasn't telling the truth. So, Jess, this week the jury found former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes guilty of four of the 11 criminal counts she faced. She was not found guilty of four other counts, but the jury deadlocked on three other charges. So she is literally now going down for fraud and conspiracy because it turns out a lot of the stuff that she had organised and raised money for was fake. That's so scary to think about. I mean, we talk about investing all the time, and obviously this was a little bit different because it's US-based, it was private sector, it's not like jumping on your raise. But big picture here, we talk about investing and we talk about researching and we talk about making sure that things are safe and that you're making good decisions. It's crazy to think that she had so much funding and so much investment from businesses that believed in her and believed in her technology, and it could be found to be not legit. It's actually really upsetting. At the end of the day, she claimed to have revolutionized blood testing, wasn't going to happen, didn't happen, made it up, essentially defrauded people of their money when she went to them and said, hey, Jess, would you like to invest in my company for millions of dollars? And you go, this is revolutionary. Like even- I'm looking at it, right? And my mum's a phlebotomist. So nowadays she takes people's blood. So I do know how arduous it is and I do know how hard it is to take it from people who are already ill or, you know, don't have good veins. Like in my head, I'm like, that's genius. If you could just Mm -hmm. do it with a pinprick, like how great. So I'm assuming every investor would have done exactly the same thing and been like, oh, this is great. I'd love to invest. But it wasn't true. And so she's been done for fraud over that. But then also she's now been charged with wire fraud over the allegations that she clearly intentionally lied to investors, but also doctors and patients about her company's blood testing capabilities to take their money and prop up her company. Like that that makes me sick because it's not just like Enron where you're talking about embezzlement and there's lots of money involved. Like you're promising people that you could detect things like diabetes and cancer with blood from a pinprick which would change the world like yeah it's misleading people and it's really disappointing and then I guess an extra layer on top of that not to make it all meh women but the finance space the big business space we know that it's male dominated and all we want is for females to succeed and I feel like more often than not we're already a little bit on the back foot because of prejudice and culture and things like that and then to have someone at the forefront to have someone succeeding to have have all of us cheering her on to then kind of turn around and turn out to be something that's gone completely the opposite direction. It's just really disappointing. Literally terrifying. So it wasn't even like one or two years, Jess. She was trading for more than 10 years, Jess, before Theranos began publicly talking about its abilities to test conditions like cancer and diabetes with a few drops of blood taken by a finger prick. And they announced a massive retail partnership with Walgreens. Like, 
in America, Walgreens is massive. And if you look at the list of investors, like she wasn't just, you know, raising money from people we've never heard of. She got money from Rupert Murdoch. We all know who that is. Absolute media mogul. Oracle founder Larry Ellison. She got money from the Walton family, who actually own Walmart, and the billionaire family of the former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. And to me, that just is crazy because she's defrauding these people that obviously have more than enough money to sue her butt if she gets in any type of trouble or did the wrong thing. It's not like, oh, hey, Jess, join my MLM. <laughs> Here, come, <laughs> come do this. And then you don't really have the means to be able to go, okay, well, I lost all my money and it, it was an absolute scam. I'm just going to walk away. Like these people don't walk away. What did she expect, Jess? I don't know. It's really frustrating to see. And this story is really new as we're discussing it. I'm sure that more and more details will come out. There will most likely be an investigation off the back of this. And I'm going to talk about this on my Instagram all week. I promise you, like it is going to be wild, but I think that this has been a good conversation, Jess. Maybe we should stay more on top of like finance crimes because I am totally into stuff like this. I'm like, how did they do it? How did she declare that to investors? Like, what did she show investors? How did that work? Like, tell me all the nitty gritty details because it's one of those things where she was heralded as like a Forbes front cover cover girl. Like she was the be all end all kind of like boss lady. And we all looked up to her as like this woman that ran this massive business and like, you know, she's just had a baby, like do it all kind of vibes. Um, Turns out she was lying the entire time. How does that happen? How are people like this? I honestly, I have no idea, but we'll chat about it again in the coming weeks. That's actually disgusting and gross, and I can't wait to talk more about it, Jess. But you told me before this episode started that we have a question about investing as an expat. Can we Mm -hmm. listen to that question and start having a chat about it? Absolutely. Here we go. Hi, guys. Um, I have a question about investing. Um, I'm 27 and I'm an expat. I moved over from the UK about three years ago, and now I live in Sydney. Um, I'm actually looking at moving over to America next year, so that complicates matters a little further. Um, I really want to start long-term investing, but I just don't know how and whether it matters where, which country I put my money in. Um, does it even work like that? I don't know. Um, I don't know where I'm going to retire, so I'm not sure where to put uh, my investments. Um, I want to start long-term investing. I want to put some money away each month um, to start building that portfolio, but I just don't know which platform, how to invest in, is that in Australia or the UK or America? Uh, just feeling a little bit lost. Um, same goes with, I'd like to you know, talk to a financial advisor about this, but I don't know whether they specialize in uh, expat kind of investing. Um, Any help would be awesome. Thanks, guys. Ah, Jess, this one is a really hard one to answer for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I am an Australian-based financial advisor, so I can't advise on international shares or stocks or portfolios that are held in different currencies. But the thing that's a little bit fickle for me is actually that she said she doesn't know where she wants to land. So she said, I don't really know, you know, where I want to retire, which is completely normal. But the advice when you're talking to someone who is an expat about where to invest is usually invest in the country's currency that you actually want to land in. So say you're from the UK and you're living in Australia and you're planning on returning to the UK one day to set up 
life or maybe have kids or even further down the track to retire, I would be saying you probably want to invest in the UK because when we're planning to invest over the long term, we'll have what's called capital gains, which is where our portfolio increases in value. And we all want that to happen, right? But the problem with that is then if we sell, we more likely than not have to pay some pretty steep capital gains tax. And obviously, we want to avoid that as much as possible and put you in the best possible position so you never have to get rid of an asset because you don't live in the right country. In saying that, you would never have to do that. So example, if you moved back to the UK but had a significant amount of shares or holdings in Australia, you definitely could still have that. You would just have to declare them each and every single year and do a tax return here in Australia. Australia because you're generating Australian dollars and therefore have Australian income, which needs to be declared. So, I mean, it's a rock and a hard place. I would definitely recommend going and having a chat with an accountant or working out what your ultimate plans are. But I don't think it's like the be all end all. Because Jess, at the end of the day, if you said, look, V, I'm going to move to the UK. I don't think I'm ever going to come home. I'm going to invest over there. And I go, great idea, Jess. Sounds fun. Enjoy. And then 20 years later, you move back to Australia. You know, plans change, life changes. And you're like, oh, I don't want to have to sell my portfolio because of the capital gains taxes. You'd be like, okay, well, I'll just pay an accountant to do my tax over there each year. And that's a very small price to pay in comparison to selling down your entire portfolio and, you know, being lumped with those capital gains taxes, right? Yeah, for sure. What about when she said, you know, she was thinking about potentially talking to an advisor. She understood that when things are this complicated, that's generally when you'd go to a professional, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't sure what to do in regards to, does she find one here? Does she find one overseas? See, that's where I am absolutely useless to you. And the reason for that is because I'm only Australian. I cannot recommend that you invest in another currency because I don't know enough about that currency. Like Mm -hmm. my job, is the ins and outs of what is available and accessible to Australians and our Australian tax system and how that works for us. If you then say, hey, V, should I be, for my personal situation, investing in the UK or in Australia or in the US or maybe Dubai? Like, I don't know where you're based or what your plan is. I can't actually do that, but you absolutely could engage an Australian advisor once you'd worked that out. And if you come to me and say, hey, Victoria, I'm an expat. I would love to invest with you here in Australia. I can work with you. It's absolutely fine. But Mm -hmm. if you ask me to manage a portfolio internationally, I cannot do that, nor would I feel comfortable to do so. So the best thing is to find an advisor in the country that you want to be investing in because advisors can't work internationally, unfortunately. And whoever tells you that they can, they can't. When you say that, does that mean that there's like, does anybody work internationally as an advisor or is that just not a thing? Oh, so it's not really a thing unless you're incredibly wealthy. And we're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars here. So example, as you guys know, I used to work in the ultra high net wealth space and deal with billion dollar families. And so they had what's called a family finance manager. So it was somebody that the family had hired individually, their entire full-time job was managing that family's portfolio because they had a family office and they would have assets from around the world. And that is absolutely fine. I'm not saying that as an Australian, you can't invest internationally. So like 
I have clients who own stocks all over the world, but it's more about the tax system. So that family's advisor would actually do that job for them. So yes, you could say that there is somebody who does that, but it is absolutely a very, very, very wealthy thing to have and not really accessible to many people. Like it wouldn't be something I could ever engage in because I don't have what quarter of a million dollars to pay a finance manager each and every single year to manage my family's wealth. Must be nice. Yeah, Um, must be nice (laughs) for some, but it's not It's not a thing in saying that I do have a couple of clients who are expats and they have portfolios here in Australia and they have some portfolios in the UK and I have a client who has a whole heap of holdings in the US and I've had meetings with their financial advisors like sometimes at very strange hours in the morning or in the late afternoon, but I like to understand what they're doing and what goals my client has that maybe they've articulated to one advisor, but maybe not to me, just so I haven't missed anything and we can always be on the same page. So, if you want to work with somebody and you want to hold different portfolios, you absolutely can. But I think the most important thing there is just working out like what is the long-term game plan because that will give you the answer. Yeah. And it sounds like remembering that, you know, if you do decide to invest in one place, and then 10 years down the track, you decide that that's not actually where you want to be, knowing that you can work around that. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. And it's like people in the UK might come and live in Australia, but still have access to their pensions. It's a bit of a mess around because it's different currencies. But guys, it is 2022. And we now live in a world where I can just jump on a website, log into my banking app and transfer it through by transfer wise. Like it is so easy to exist in a world where we have unlimited access to stuff. So, would I think it's a massive problem? No, but it is really, really important to consider like, well, what does the future look like? Should I actually be investing in the UK if I'm only living there for two years while I'm overseas? Well, probably not because you're going to come home and we don't want to have to sell a portfolio and we don't want to have to manage tax in another country because you spent two years abroad and bought some stocks and now you're forever committed to talking about tax and stuff in another country. So, I think it's really important to just work out what your long-term game is. And if you don't know, just pick what you think is going to work best for you and your situation now because everything's able to be changed. And just off the back of that last thing you said there, Mm -hmm. Uh, this might be a silly question, but no such we can, thing. You should know <laughs> that we. It's it's probably worth pointing out that you can still hold overseas stocks from another country. So, like oh, here absolutely. in Australia, we can purchase US or UK stocks just yep. because I it, it is a little bit convoluted. I guess when we're talking about that expat situation, I guess our question was coming from someone wanting to know where does she set up that home base to make those investments yes. but you can still hold those international investments yep. from another country. Yep. And it's actually all about the currency you're purchasing it in not the the company you're buying. So like yeah. example I own US stocks, I own UK stocks, I dabble in a lot of things but I'm buying them all in Australian dollars because it's an Australian based portfolio. Jess I think that was actually a really smart question because a lot of people will be like hold up am I not meant to invest internationally? I thought we were meant to diversify. You absolutely are but what we're doing is diversifying by buying international stocks with our currency of the country we live in. Does that make sense? 
Oh my gosh, yes, that does. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. It's a little bit complicated, but we got it's, there. It's complicated, but I promise you it is not that complicated. I hope that has answered her question, but that was a really good question. In saying that, if you guys would like to send a voice memo through to podcast at she'sonthemoney.com.au, you might end up hearing your voice memo question on the show. So definitely flick those through. But Jessica Ricci, we have nearly been talking for like half an hour and it's meant to be a short, sharp, fun to the point Friday drink. So I do believe that is all we have time for today. But as always, just before we head off, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They're the traditional custodians of the lands, the waterways and the skies all across Australia. We thank you for sharing and for caring for the land on which we are able to learn. We pay respects to elders past and present and we share our friendship and our kindness. And remember, the advice shared on She's on the Money is generally in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or a financial decision. And we promise Victoria Devine is an authorised representative of Australia Pacific Funds Management, Proprietary Limited, ABM 34132463257, AFL 339151. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.